Welcome to the sixth and final episode of A Decade of Private Debt. As PEI Group's magazine Private Debt Investor celebrates its 10-year anniversary, we're looking back at the insights, stories, and pivotal moments that have shaped the private debt landscape over the past decade. In this six-part mini-series, we're bringing you an exclusive dive into the minds of industry leaders and key players, exploring the challenges, triumphs, and the evolving dynamics that have defined the world of private debt. This mini-series has been brought to you by the Private Debt Investor Podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please subscribe by searching wherever you like to listen or by clicking the link below in the description. There, you'll continue to get industry-leading insights into the world of private debt from PDI's team of reporters and analysts and from some of the asset class's leading figures. Don't forget to also download Private Debt Investor's Decade Issue for more insight on how the industry has evolved over the last 10 years which you can also find at privatedebtinvestor.com or at the link in the description. In this episode, PEI Group's Senior Special Projects Editor Chase Collum sits down with Akila Grewal, partnering client and product solutions at Apollo. Grewal discusses the growth and evolution of the private debt business at Apollo, as well as her own personal growth within the industry. Akila, let's talk about who we are where we come from. Tell me about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm Akila Graywall, and I lead our credit product team. And I also am a member of the credit management team at Apollo. And so that's a way of saying I work with our global LP base and investor base and talk to them about trends that are happening in their markets and also try to figure out solutions for them for their credit portfolios and focus on capital formation efforts in particular for our credit platform. Keeping in mind that you've been working in the business for eight years now, can you walk us through some of the key moments across the past decade of Apollo's growth and development? We have about 350 investment professionals in credit, 3,000 relationships, and then we have another couple thousand people, as we say, that don't necessarily carry an Apollo business card, but are originating you know, via our joint partnerships and joint ventures and other platform relationships that we have. So we have, I think, built, uh, and Mark in particular, has built an incredibly expansive business that is almost a full suite in terms of the different types of asset categories that we can offer in credit. To your point, we spent a lot of time you know, building a bottoms-up approach and ensuring that we had the right technical experts and investment acumen by asset class. Credit by definition, as you compare it to equity, just has a lot more variations associated with it. That could be investment grade, private and public. That could be our high yield business, our levered loan business, our structured product business, being a CLO manager and an investor in CLOs. And so, you know, you've mentioned a few different asset categories, asset classes. Let's talk about some of the debt instruments that have evolved over the past decade, asset-backed finance, for example. Maybe could you talk through a couple of those that have been key for Apollo and what was the environment in which those emerged uh, and the conditions that sort of came together for those to come to the top? Absolutely. So, I mean, I think that we have been on a journey since the GFC where, in our view at least, there has been the continued trend of the privatization of the credit markets. Part of that has been out of the GFC, we saw one of the biggest trends was middle market direct lending, right? That came out of what was traditionally a banked channel, then moved to be a lot more in the private credit realm. Also, some specialty finance came out of that as well, be it kind of aircraft leasing as an example, which was very capital heavy from a banking channel perspective, and private capital started to enter the space, or private solutions, I should say, started to enter the space. We noticed about a couple years ago that 
we saw, okay, there has been a massive amount of private credit that has been built within middle market direct lending. Our view is that what we call large cap direct lending was the next leg of that stool. And that was, you know, call it in 2019 and 2020. We started to see some of these very large companies who need $2 billion, $3 billion type transaction sizes that historically had to go to, you know, the banking channel um, also want to look at alternative sources of financing. And so we started to provide those types of sizes of loans in a in a very short period with certainty of execution, certainty of, of scale, and certainty of size. Now, to your point, you know, we have been really at the forefront, I think, in terms of asset-backed finance and the privatization of that market. We, as many of you may know, we purchased um, Credit Suisse's Securitized Product Group earlier this year, now known as Atlas, which we're, which we're proud of. And so whether that's equipment finance, trade finance, fleet finance, aircraft finance, resi consumer, you know, we have really touching a number of different types of asset classes. And we think that provides a diversified exposure as compared to what has historically been classified as private credit. It's, it's so funny how that Credit Suisse moment, especially in the context of a decade, there's so many things that have happened. And, and Credit Suisse, that was a big deal when that went down. Obviously, we could really dive into all that if we wanted to, but that would be a different podcast, I think. But it just really puts things in perspective when you think about 10 years across the private debt space from the GFC and this, as you mentioned, the middle market side of things and how that really has become a staple and it's almost now you wouldn't even imagine a world without it, uh, yes. without private credit in the middle market, um, just because of all the benefits and the ways that the interplay with the banks themselves can even be such a symbiotic relationship. So as private debt investor, you know, we're, you know, our decade is 2023. And as we move into, thank you, thank you. Uh, it's uh, been quite a 10-year period, I'll, I'll tell you that much. Now, as PDI moves into its teen years, so to speak, it's, again, it's a really interesting moment for this asset class. You know, on the one hand, you have people saying that we might be very well in the golden age of private debt. I mean, 9% high yields and and such uh, really do feel pretty good, I have to say. Um, but on the other hand, there's some concern that maybe there's a bubble forming uh, on the back of all that. What's your take? 100% agree with what you said, which is it's a really exciting time for credit. I mean, we and I and you know many people grew up in a zero interest rate world for credit um, for the last kind of over decade, and it hasn't been that exciting to talk about you know first lien risk at you know uh, several hundred basis points of yield. Now, to your point, you're able to create low double digit type of return profiles um, in very high quality credit in companies that I think have really great capital structures and also at low LTVs and good pricing. To your point, though, we would be remiss or to ignore the fact that there are a number of managers that some who are incredibly cycle tested and have been through higher rate environments and some who haven't. And so from our perspective, when we think about private credit, even when we think about the asset backed space of private credit, we're focusing on very high quality, top of the capital structure, senior secured, and asset back finance investment grade type risk. Because if you do believe that there might be some stress, if there might be a corporate cycle, if we could go through an, an area where there might be increased defaults, then in our view, as it always has been, company selection is key. And so 
we do think that there might be some, you know, stress, let's say, in the broader private credit ecosystem, given the amount of capital that has gone into that. But that being said, I think our view is that if you stay safe, stay senior, make sure you understand the documents or if not are driving document terms and understand the equity below you as well as the broader capital structure, you can stay in a really, you know, you can have a really great portfolio that will get you unlevered double digit yields in an environment that we're in today. Who knows how long that will last? Um, but from our perspective, we think it's an incredibly timely allocation. And whether that's the golden age or some other kind of, you know, some other phrase that you want to use for credit, we are in the camp that this is a really interesting time and one that we haven't seen in a long time. Right. Yeah. And obviously, there are going to be defaults, right? With the money piling in, maybe there's going to be some new managers that don't quite have the same time-tested strategies in private debt. I think there's probably going to be a lot of interesting opportunities in distressed and turnarounds as well. I know Apollo has like a very robust business from my days on another desk. Uh, And so I just I'm curious what your take on that is, because I feel like there's going to be some great opportunities for really smart debt folks to come in, private debt folks to come in and also help to rebuild businesses. Absolutely. I think you're right. And I think we agree. Um, We think that this is, you know, to your point, there are will likely be some modicum of stress, whether that's significant or insignificant or whether what sectors or broad base lead it. There will likely be the opportunity for private debt investors who have the capabilities to touch businesses and help build them or refinance them or take the keys candidly and try to get them into a better stead. And so our view, I mean, we're biased, but you know we have one of the best private equity businesses out there. Um, we have a very large pref equity and structured equity business that spends its time focused on figuring out ways to get debt-like security but equity-like returns in businesses that we think are money good over time. And so having that dry powder and being disciplined is going to be really important. So while right now we think it's a great time to be investing if you can find very high quality assets, um, we also think it's really smart to be disciplined and have the dry powder to, to your point, step in should those opportunities arise. For sure. So that notwithstanding, how could private debt managers ensure that their portfolios are insulated from this anticipated rise in defaults as companies are no longer able to rely on that low interest leverage, the end of cheap money, we call it, uh, to support their growth? Right. I think that that's a great question. And, you know, listen, there's a cost of capital for companies and there's a cost of capital for lenders, right, for borrowers and for lenders. And that spread is what makes a market. And so for a long time, to your point, that's been, you know, very low interest rates that people were able to get almost finance themselves for free, effectively. But when there is any sort of stress, if it's a consumer business or otherwise, where there might be some sort of issue with a particular part of their company, they're all, all of a sudden their access to the capital markets will be strained just by virtue of where rates are. And so that's why we are so focused on being first lien on top of the capital structure and so focused on our leverage ratios, the documents, the definition of EBITDA. Like We want to make sure that we feel protected from multiple different ways because we do understand that, to your point, there have been these capital structures that have just benefited so significantly from, from lower rates. And so for us, it's about picking sectors that we think are defensible, making sure that we are being, you know, attaching at the most senior point of the capital structure and really picking, you know, or ensuring that we're driving documentation that would protect us and our investors over time. Let's talk about current days, uh, 2023. 
The first part of the year was a really tough market for fundraising in private debt. Um, but given the tailwinds in the sector, do you think we'll see a surge in funds raised for private credit strategies in the near term? Absolutely. I think that there will be. To your point, it was it was a 2022 into 23 was not, you know, it was a difficult fundraising environment. I think that most people would agree with that. I would tell you that having been at Apollo now for almost eight years and been in the industry for longer, you know, there has been so much uptick in interest from investors focusing on credit. Rightfully so, for a long time, investors focused on equity and equity-like returns. That was a great trade. It worked out incredibly well for those that timed it well and were able to pick the right managers and right investments. And now people are realizing that on a relative value risk-adjusted basis, credit's really interesting to add back or increase in their portfolios. And so the last, the second half of 23 has definitely been marked by increased interest, increased meetings, increased, you know, investors who actually didn't really have large credit portfolios. And there are investors across the globe that are in various phases of their private credit and fixed income and, and credit journey, generally speaking. And they're either, if they're late stage, they're looking at ways to potentially find secondary opportunities so that they can invest in today's vintage. If they're early stage, they're figuring out ways to get scale quickly because of where rates are and where the market is. And so we're seeing not just a trend of increased credit interest, but increased interest as it relates to also perpetual strategies that can get you investments in the ground today and can compound pretty meaningfully over time. So on the tail end of that, I'd like to start to wrap up by looking forward. Maybe we'll look backward to look forward if we can, you know. So how do you think the end of lower for longer, this end of cheap money that I just mentioned um, that we were talking about, how will that change the face of the industry in the years to come, in your opinion? Yeah, I think in my opinion, I think, you know, as I, as I mentioned, like, you know, I think that these capital structures being able to finance themselves at low interest rates has created, you know, I think a lot of runway for these companies to grow. I mean, in, in their defense, right, why not use cheap financing to be able to grow your business? But equally, you know, it will be difficult for those same companies to continue to finance themselves in those same ways. And they're going to have to look at creative solutions, whether that's figuring out different ways to get access to the capital markets, i.e. working through the ability to, you know, securitize a pool of their assets. Or if they're, you know, have real estate assets, figuring out ways to finance those which they may not be doing or not doing to their full extent today. Um, looking at, you know, assets that might be able to be securitized in investment grade and, and trying to get to different buyers. So I think that this is going to allow for more creativity. And I think managers who have a full suite of financing opportunities and capital opportunities available to them will be able to work with these companies in creative ways to solve and optimize for their capital structure. Whereas historically, they may have just gone down the route of, I'm going to go issue a bank debt and hope a bunch of CLOs buy my bank debt in the new issue market. Things have gotten more complicated, but also more interesting. And so I think that that's going to allow for the future people like Apollo to be able to come in and provide different solutions depending on the needs of a particular borrower. And so let's end on an aspirational note here. Yes. Thank you so much. That was phenomenal. Um, so how are the challenges of the decade behind? How are they preparing lenders for the challenges ahead? I mean, I know that's sort of a repeat of the last question, but a little bit maybe how are private debt providers today even more prepared? I think that private debt investors are prepared to continue to be selective. I think that the selectivity will be key, right? I think in a world in which there was a lot of competition for dollars because of where 
rates were and where documents were pricing out, you're going to start to see some more differentiation. So those that have been selective, have kind of stuck to their knitting, so to speak, I think will be really well prepared to be able to source investments as well as, you know, really understand that their filter needs to be quite high. And I think that some of the challenges that we face will just allow, you know, investors and private debt investors in particular to be more discerning, particularly both in terms of the investments they source as well as the managers they choose. Fantastic. All right. And now I do have one more question. I wanted to throw this at the end because I didn't want it to be a distraction, but I want to talk about you a little bit more. And I want you to be able to talk about yourself a little bit more. Like what's a moment that you're really proud of in your career that really brought you to where you are today? That's kind. As I mentioned, I'm very fortunate. I'm very happy to be at Apollo. You know, for me, I I came to Apollo eight or so years ago to really help build um, the capital formation efforts for our Longshore Credit Hedge Fund. And it was a very narrow role. And I think that what's been nice about, you know, the credit markets, as well as the ability for us to be creative and be thoughtful and, and really understand what's going on with market trends and move with solutions quickly was a big differentiator. So for example, you know, I, I started here and I was working on our Longshore Credit Fund. And then we decided, okay, there's been a big interest level in terms of credit when dislocations occur. So thinking about, okay, how do we bring a contingent capital deal to market? How do we think about what the next leg of the privatization of the credit markets are? So for me, being able to have that white space to think creatively and work with our investors and think about what works and what doesn't work. And by the way, we get things wrong. Things don't always work. And knowing when to cut bait, but having that creativity allowed, I think is really important. And I do appreciate the the firm support in terms of really building our credit business from the bottom up and having the right resources and infrastructure around it. And so for me, I've been, you know, I think a part of, play a small role in terms of the growth that we've had over the last eight years. And it's just been really fun to watch and see it unfold. That's fantastic. And one that my colleague Mina wanted me to ask you too, and this is something that I think is great, you know, coming into spaces like this as an interviewer over the last, what, decade or so myself, and to see see the landscape change from, me being a white male and the person across the table being a white male who's uh, 40 years older than me uh, in every case 10 years ago uh, without fail. I love seeing folks in the industry in senior roles that are from diverse backgrounds. You're a woman, you're a person of color. And what's that like for you? What's that been like? And maybe some words of encouragement for folks who may feel a bit timid about stepping forward. Because looking at you, you're an entrepreneur who's come in and really, like you said, you've used that white space to be creative. Any words of advice and and also on the tail end of what your experience has been, as I asked? Yeah, listen, I mean, I think that I really appreciate that question. So thank you to me and your colleague um, and you for bringing it up. I am really proud of the fact that, I mean, I'm proud of myself, right? I'm proud of the fact that I was able to hopefully make an impact. And I think it's really great of the firm and other firms that are recognizing it. You know, I am a woman. I am of color. Um, my parents were, you know, immigrants to America. And, you know, I, you know, have been able to really work through various challenges like many people have. And I guess my words, any words of advice I would say is, you know, if you're able to kind of not get bogged down in the environment that's fully around you, because the environment is changing, but it's changing, you know, I think slowly. And but there are definitely strides to your point, if you compare it five years ago, 10 years ago, and don't get 
over-index to what the current state is, but try to focus on what the future could be and work hard and try to ensure that your impact and your voice is heard, I think that there is a lot of room at the table. And I have been living proof of that and only encouraged to speak up more and you know, have a, have, a, have a place at the table to be able to help drive some of these business initiatives. So I would just say to anyone who's been in a similar seat or is in a similar seat to just not get overwhelmed by what might be the immediate term, but try to project forward because there is enough space and people are making it. Sure. And, and these changes take time. Yes. You know, it's not like you just show up one day and you're capable of being a senior leader at Apollo. It takes decades Yes. <laughs> or a decade, <laughs> in your case, fast track, you know, to, to get there. And so that's great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time, Akila. It's been fantastic. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here and really appreciate it. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye. That again was Akila Gerwal of Apollo and Chase Column. We hope you've enjoyed this mini series and be sure to hit the link in the description to check out PDI's decade issue at privatedebtinvestor.com for more insight on how the industry has evolved over the last 10 years. And if you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the Private Debt Investor podcast, where you'll continue to get industry-leading insights into the world of private debt from Private Debt Investor's team of reporters and analysts, as well as some of the leading figures in the industry. This episode has been produced by me, Mina Tumai, and edited by Eric Fish. Thanks for listening.